0: Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go, brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Adam Childers, back with you on the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I wish I could say that I'm broadcasting from the Crow's Nest today, but it is a snow day for us, and I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast after its release. So I am here at my house, uh, but I am still joined by one of my colleagues, a good friend and law partner of mine, Tara LeClaire. Tara, say hello to everybody.
0: Hi, good afternoon.
1: Yeah, well, glad that you're here. Hope that you're staying warm in the new state of Siberia, formerly known as the state of Oklahoma. I uh, spent a little time growing up in North Dakota when I was an Air Force brat, and that's the last time I remember feeling this cold. But hopefully, you're staying warm, and we're excited to have you here on the program today. I want to introduce Tara to all of you so that you know a little bit about her background and can better understand our topic today, which is going to be about the area of securities with a special look at uh, some current events that have really caught everyone's attention and imagination. But first, let's learn a little bit more about Tara. Tara is the chairperson of the Securities Litigation Enforcement and Compliance Section at the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Uh, makes sense that she would be the head honcho of that area, considering that she has her master's degree in securities law that she got from Georgetown University, a fine uh, institution, and uh, and of course a feather in the hat of anyone who practices in the securities area. And we're all very proud at the firm in 2019 when Tara was named as one of the 50 women making a difference in Oklahoma City by the Journal Record publication, uh, which is always a a nice thing to be able to say about one of your law partners and really one of my neighbors, I should say, because the securities department shares a floor uh, with labor and employment, the seventh floor there at the Crow's Nest. So today we're keeping it all in the family and talking with Tara. And what we're going to talk to her about is something that sounds, um, it sounds pretty exciting. It sounds like something out of a movie. We've got uh, Robin Hood is involved. We've got a multi-billion-dollar uh, hedge fund squaring off with investors from an online platform known as Reddit, and everything centers around a little place called GameStop, which is where a lot of my dollars were consumed as a young boy uh, in my gaming career. So I have to confess, you know, say this going in: I I listened and 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 thought this sounds really interesting when I saw this on the news. But I never quite understood it, and it really never went beyond what my sophomore in college could explain to me what was happening. And she was more involved in the investment uh, proceeds uh, from that than I was. But now that the dust has settled a little bit on it, I thought it'd be a great time to bring in Tara to explain it to us in a way that is more comprehensive and thought provoking and help our audience really understand um, what was going on there and really most importantly, what what they can learn from it. So let's just start with the nuts and bolts, Tara. Um, Help me and our audience understand. First, what is Robinhood?
0: Well, thanks, Adam. Robinhood is a mobile trading platform or an app that you can download and put on your phone or your tablet. And it allows investors to open accounts, trade stocks, options, ETFs, even cryptocurrency and fractional shares, which are popular. And it's all commission-free. This particular platform has been very popular with younger investors and the millennials in particular. I saw a survey recently that said more than 80% of millennials who own stocks are using platforms like Robinhood for their primary
1: investment tool. Well, now I understand the first part of this puzzle, why I didn't know anything about it. it. Sounds like it's geared towards millennials, so I feel a little bit better about myself, and certainly the commission-free aspect of it would appeal uh, to the younger crowd. So help me understand a little bit more then about this. Can you trade any kind of investment on these apps, or are there limitations?
0: Generally, there's an app that will allow you to trade almost anything. This particular app, Robinhood, uh, is a streamlined platform, and it does have some limitations currently i think they limit or don't do not allow trading in bonds and mutual funds and they've limited the types of accounts you can have to taxable accounts so basically that means no ira accounts there's generally going to be an app that you can trade almost anything
1: well that makes sense to me but now you know silly me let me concentrate i suppose on what the non millennials are thinking about which is the bottom line how does robinhood make any money if they're not charging any commissions? Well, good
0: question. Not surprisingly, nothing is really free, but it's true that Robinhood does not charge commission on their trades, but they make money uh, in other ways. They make money on interest on customer assets, much like a bank would. They allow margin accounts, which is, in essence, it's trading on credit, and they charge interest for that. They also receive rebates from certain market makers or trading platforms that they use, and they do have premium ser- premium services that they charge for, premium accounts, or talking to a live broker online is a service that you can pay for.
1: All right. So now I want to get to the root of the thing that interested me most about this entire episode, and that is the involvement of GameStop. I remember GameStop as the place where I went to rent and sometimes buy uh, games of choice. So there was clearly a whiff of nostalgia in the air for me, and I suspect maybe for some of the folks that got involved in all this, but tell us, how did GameStop get involved in this big news cycle?
0: Sure, well, GameStop is a video game retailer, and it's been struggling, uh, including through the pandemic, which is a little counterintuitive with so many folks staying home uh, and engaging in online gaming or kind of old-fashioned video games would have thought that maybe this would have been a good thing for them.
1: Yeah, I, I pulled out my old Super Nintendo to get through some of the quarantine.
0: <laughs> right. And they do have a lot of brick and mortar stores, so limited foot traffic in those brick and mortar stores. But in any event, their stock price uh, did suffer uh, during the pandemic and, there, and it declined. That was an opportunity for some institutional investors, in particular some large head funds, saw this decline in stock price as an opportunity. And they started short selling the company's stock.
1: Okay. So I remember the movie, uh, The Big Short, and I remember a bubble bath scene where there was a description of short selling. And you would think that that would mean it's seared into my memory, but I confess I'm still a little bit hazy on it. So help us, Tara. What does it mean to short a stock?
0: Sure. So short selling is when an investor borrows shares and immediately turns around and sells those shares in the open market. Now, they do have to return the shares to the original owner at some point, and they're going to do that by going back into the market and buying those shares. But if you're short selling, you believe that the price of the company's stock is going to continue to fall. And at some point in the near future, you'll be able to scoop up those shares at a lower cost and pocket the difference as your profit. It is an aggressive trading strategy, and by aggressive, I mean it carries risk, um, and it can be unlimited risk.
1: Okay, then, so let's, let's get back then to the role that GameStop had in this. So, uh, you know, what was happening then as it related to GameStop that, that began to snowball and make this into a bigger story?
0: Sure, well, the hedge funds were shorting GameStop, and that was pushing the stock price even lower. That by itself is not particularly newsworthy, but that changed when users from an online platform called Reddit uh, decided to get involved, and they started buying up shares of GameStop.
1: Okay, so uh, again, another one of our characters enters the story. Now it's Reddit. I know uh, enough to be dangerous about Reddit, but tell us a little bit more and help us understand the role it played vis-a-vis GameStop.
0: So Reddit is a network of communities, online communities, and they're kind of based on particular interest and they form discussion groups. So people can join, share news, stories, uh, blog, talk about whatever particular topic is of interest. Here, one of the Reddit groups named Wall Street Bets started buying up GameStop shares. Initially, it looks like this was a typical investment opportunity. They believed that GameStop was undervalued and represented potential for a good long-term investment. But then it changed into something else and became more interesting, maybe more newsworthy. Some of the Reddit users started calling for other investors to pile into GameStop and run up the stock price. It seems that they wanted to send a message to the short sellers or those multi-billion dollar hedge funds. So as the Reddit investors start buying up shares of stock, increases demand, the stock price goes up, which if you're the short seller, means it's now going to cost you more money to go and replace those shares and return them to the buyer. So the hedge funds were going to lose money and this is generally referred to as a short squeeze.
1: This is kind of the it has kind of echoes of maybe a little bit of the political climate. It's kind of a get back at the at the man as it were. You said that that can be kind of volatile. How volatile did it get when it came to the stock price?
0: Right. So this created a huge amount of volatility in GameStop's share price. Just for context in 2019 the stock traded generally in a range from two and a half dollars a share up to $20 a share. So if you were a short seller, you were thinking 20, maybe 25 is what uh, the top price you might have to replace shares at. But during this buying frenzy, it actually pushed the stock price up to $350 a share at one point.
1: Well, yeah. And that's where the eye popping numbers began and and people started jumping in kind of all at once. So that then introduces, again, Robinhood to the story. So how did they get involved and what is it they did that drew so much of media attention?
0: Well, Robinhood got media attention when it announced or actually, I think, posted on a blog that it was going to limit certain transactions in a handful of securities, one of which was GameStop. Robinhood users were going to be permitted to sell their shares, but not to buy shares uh, in GameStop. And a lot of the users and some of the media thought this was really working in favor of the short sellers, because if you're not allowing people to buy, then the stock price isn't going to be pushed up as much or may in fact fall, and that would benefit the short sellers or what a lot of people perceived as Wall Street.
1: Yeah, and and that's the part that I suppose I struggled with. Uh, Maybe it was just the name, uh, Robinhood. Sounds like stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. But to me, it sounded like they were they were actually taking care of the the rich at the expense of the poor. So uh, did they draw criticism over that? And how did that play out?
0: Right. They drew criticism almost immediately. And people uh, really did start viewing it as Robin Hood siding with Wall Street instead of its own users or client base. Uh, But in reality, or at least according to Robinhood, that's not what was going on. And Robinhood cited market volatility as the reason that they had decided to limit purchases in certain securities. Now, they could have been doing that for certain regulatory requirements, and those requirements are based on the amount of cash that Robinhood needs to have on hand. And it's often tied to the volume of trading that its users are engaged in. Generally. The more trading volume on the platform, the more cash that Robinhood needed to have on hand. Now Robinhood could have raised more cash, which it did. And the other way to try to meet those requirements was to limit the volume of trading. So they picked out a handful of securities that were hot or very volatile and had spikes in trading. And they allowed their users to sell but not buy new
1: positions in those securities. So that didn't last very long, though, right? What happened next after the backlash began?
0: Yeah, it really didn't last very long at all. The restriction was lifted by Robinhood very quickly, but it did uh, draw a lawsuit, at least one against the company. The first one, I think, was filed in the Southern District of New York, and it got them some almost immediate negative press. Uh, Although I will say that I think a lot of people who maybe had not heard of that platform before now know its name. So maybe in the end, this will fall in the category of all presses, good press, uh, but we'll see.
1: Right. But I suppose if they, they probably got the attention of Congress too. So is that story over?
0: Yeah, it did. It, it drew some attention from certain members of Congress and from the SEC or the regulatory side. So the story continues on whether or not that'll really turn out to be good press or not.
1: Well, what I appreciate now is that I... I understand a lot more about how this unfolded than I did before we sat down to talk about this. And now I've got a, a new lexicon to add the short squeeze, uh, which is fun to mix into your conversations with your stock savvy friends. But I think what our uh, listeners might be most interested in, having kind of heard how this all happened, is what are, what are the takeaways for your average investor? What What should they know and what should they be on the lookout for? Now that this kind of new tide is turned.
0: Well, it's an interesting story. And it does seem like uh, the kind of thing that movies are made of. The little guys fight back against the billion dollar hedge fund.
1: Yeah, right. Um,
0: But those headlines aside, I think there are some things that all investors, the average investor can take away from this. Uh, And the first kind of most basic thing is a reminder that there are risks associated with all forms of investing. Not everything goes up. Some investments will absolutely lose money. And we can't always foresee or anticipate uh, the things that might drive a company's stock price. It's also a reminder that for most investors, particularly if you are saving for retirement, that your focus should be on long term investments, meaning uh, don't overreact to short term changes in stock price. Keep your eye on the ball and keep that long term horizon in mind.
1: So that's a great way to kind of tell Joe Q Public, you know, what to be on the lookout for. But of course, there's the other side of this coin, which is surely brokerage firms and applications like Robinhood need to have their own takeaways from this. So, what speak to that for a moment? What what should they learn from uh, this kind of moment in time?
0: Right. No, I, I absolutely agree. There are certainly lessons for everyone uh, in this kind of story for the broker dealer side or the industry side, uh, market volatility and pandemic-related uncertainty is going to continue, uh, whether that's long-term economic impact related to COVID or it's the effectiveness and availability and distribution process for the vaccines. It's important to ensure that online and app account platforms like Robinhood can handle the increased transaction activity that's going to come from these trading periods. So we have lots of folks that now, instead of uh, maybe going to the office and seeing their broker, or even calling their broker on the phone, are using these online platforms. And that's a lot of volume being added to those platforms. So and that type of activity creates issues. And those issues might have to do with uh, margin calls or option trading, execution of trades, uh, outages or downs in the platforms, or even suspension of certain trading privileges. I think one of the biggest takeaways for the firms is to make sure, take steps to ensure that your clients are informed about what your rules and guidelines are for your platforms. Clearly communicate those policies both, you know, over the phone if they're calling in uh, and in writing, and that will help reduce client concerns, uh, agitation, maybe limit some of the customer service type calls that no doubt are going to come from failures and platforms.
1: Well, that's all very, very good advice from really both sides of the argument. Our listeners will be happy to have the information, and I'm certainly happy to have you as my law partner and a fellow uh, practice group chair to make sure that we can help guide our clients through these types of issues uh, when it becomes something that they face. Now, in the couple of minutes that we have left to round things out, we've had a heavy topic, albeit with some movie-sounding twists. But let's finish on a lighter side and. We're going to turn to that segment of our podcast that we uh, routinely close with, which is Get to Know That Crow. Today's contestant, of course, is Tara, Tara LeClaire. And Tara, you know, I'm looking out my uh, window. I've got uh, fresh packed snow, and I'm told uh, several inches more coming our way soon, which means, you know, much like the days of quarantine, we're going to all be hunkered in. And I'm sure more than a few people will be binging some of their favorite shows. So tell, uh, tell our listeners anything uh, worthy of binging that you've watched in the recent past that you can tell us about? Well,
0: you know, Adam, I actually am a transplant to Oklahoma. I grew up in Michigan. So I'm used to cold winters and lots of snow. But I got to say, I I don't live in Michigan now. And one of those reasons is to avoid this very kind of weather that we're having.
1: Exactly. Uh,
0: so I have been watching, binging, catching up on a few things. And I've been watching Yellowstone this year, and that's really kind of caught my attention and got me to tune in every week.
1: Oh, excellent. Yeah, uh, I'm about halfway through season two myself, and I've convinced myself that I need to go to a dude ranch for a vacation. And I'll probably regret all of that when I'm sore from just a day on a horse, but it sure does look fun. What is it about the show that kind of reached out to you and and made you want to watch?
0: Well, you know, interestingly, I sort of started watching it by accident. But uh, the horse angle and rodeos uh, all was very interesting. I grew up showing horses. I rode and showed horses for about twenty years. Uh, not rodeo, but I did ride Western and English. And so uh, maybe that was a little nostalgia. It certainly made me think maybe I should have a horse again and and get a pair of boots.
1: Wow, how cool is that? See, this a great thing about Getting to know that crow, I would not have known that side of you, and that's uh, that's pretty exciting. It means if uh, if I was to meet you on a dude ranch, you would probably be able to show me what to do, and I would just look plain silly. But that's okay. Uh, I, it doesn't stop me from having a good time. Speaking of good time, it has been excellent to spend time with you today, Tara, learning more about securities law uh, generally, and specifically learning a lot more about Robinhood, GameStop, and some of the recent headlines that I think we've all heard about but probably didn't have the insight to understand until getting that downloaded to us today by Tara. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. The Crone Dunleavy Briefly Legal podcast continues to grow in size and numbers. And that's because of you, our fans, and those of you who are going to your places where you consume podcasts and making sure to download our broadcasts, which are coming out, on every other Wednesday. Don't forget that if you're already a uh, member of our newsletters and advisories list, um, or if you've just never received any of them at all, you can go to crowdenovey slash subscribe and ask to be added to those lists. And you can even receive updates on upcoming podcasts. You can also look for the firm on our Facebook, our LinkedIn and Twitter pages. We're very active On social media platforms. I just want to close by telling everybody it's a good time to stay warm, snuggle up next to somebody that you love, and stay safe out there, everybody. And from Crow and Dunleavy and all the good folks with the Briefly Legal podcast, thanks so much for listening.